Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the book of Psalm and the book of Luke. Psalms 37. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Luke chapter 12. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith, and do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that seek all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It happened to me... Just the other day, I pulled up to a station to get some gas in my truck. I'd barely gotten out of the vehicle when this man got uncomfortably close to me and vehemently insisted that I needed to get him some gas because he had a wife and baby in the car and had no money. I chose to give him some gas, but I put it on my credit card and pump the amount myself. Then he got into his car without saying thanks and drove away the opposite direction from where he told me he was headed. Have you been hit up for money? Someone asking if you can just spare a little change? Can you just spare a little change? I almost never ever carry cash. My wife says it's a secret plot to get her to pay for things. It's probably not the case. But it does generally give me an excuse when someone asks for some change. Today, we wrap up our series on keeping the change. I wonder if God sometimes doesn't feel like I did when providing me an opportunity for change and I drive off ungrateful in the opposite direction. 
The Sufi poet and mystic Rumi once said, Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. It's a wisdom echoed in the prayer by our own Missouri-born theologian Reinhold Niebuhr that says in part, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm challenged every bit as much by the spin on that prayer put by someone else who said, God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, and the wisdom to know it's me. That pretty much sums up the whole stewardship series this month. And one of the best reasons to give. In giving, we become changed. I want to be that guy. I want to be someone whose very nature has become generous. Do you want to be that person too? The challenge, as Jesus knew, was that mostly we're afraid. Our attention is focused on our fears. Therefore, I tell you, he said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. And we are afraid. We're afraid of not having enough. We're afraid because we want more. We're afraid of losing what we have, and we want more to cover what we don't know will happen. But fear tells us will happen. How much are our money decisions driven by fear? Aren't we so often driven by a theology of scarcity that we can never have enough, we'll never ever have enough? Fear has our checkbooks in its clutching hands. As a consequence, it has our hearts too. Do you tell yourself, I won't be afraid when I have, when I just get to, and you've put a number to it? This, I suspect, is especially true as persons near retirement. How much do you have to have before you're not afraid? As you answer that for yourselves, can I confess that I've spent so much, so, so much of my life being afraid, afraid of not having enough, of not being enough, of not being able to keep what I have, and so needing extra. I'm frankly tired of being afraid. Are you tired too? Can you see the irony here, the sad and tragic irony? By worrying and wearing ourselves out in the process, we lose that which we seek most to gain and most urgently need to keep our very lives. Do not wear yourselves out with worry, Jesus said. Jesus knew the condition of our worn-out hearts. Three times He tells us, do not, do not, do not worry about your life. Do not keep seeking. Do not keep worrying. It's the imperative of another passage, and perhaps Jesus was building on 
Psalm 37 that says, fret not. Fret not because of the wicked counsels the psalm. Fret not about things over which you have no control. Trust in the Lord and do good. What could be a simpler plan for living than that? Delight yourselves in the Lord and God will give you the desires of your heart. Some people take verses like this one, turn faith into a kind of blank check from God and say literally, put your order into God, as if God is the divine waiter just waiting to take our orders. It's easy to scoff, yet many of us take such a secular path and put our orders in every day quite apart from God. God doesn't enter the equation of our acquiring. Carlisle Marnie used to translate Psalm 37.4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will change your wanter. Or, in these words, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will teach your heart what it can afford to want. Jesus' solution is to direct our attention and our delight on the kingdom of God. This is not about getting into heaven. It's about living here and now in the rule and reign of God. Make God's rule and reign the thing you are most focused on. Early on in the faith tradition of my growing up, I was called to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Because we no longer live in a feudal system, we have governors and presidents, not lords, perhaps a way to bring it closer to home might be to say, make God's rule and reign the focus of your attention, and it will be the saving of you. Does God's reign and rule have your attention? Decades ago, before he died, I got to meet Cecil Sherman. Cecil was an absolute legend in western North Carolina. For decades, he was the pastor of the largest Baptist church in Asheville, North Carolina, and later became the first moderator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. In his personal life, he was moderate on so very few things. Among them, he was outspoken in ra uh, around racial justice in the 1960s in a time when white preachers in the South just didn't go there. Also once when a proposal was made to do away with the Sunday blue laws prohibiting the sale of liquor, I understand that Cecil came down from his high church pulpit, lined up a bunch of shot glasses on the altar, whipped out a bottle of whiskey and proceeded to pour. Then he challenged his congregation saying that if they dared to vote for the law, they at least needed to have the integrity to come to the altar to have a shot. At least, that's how I remember the story being told to me. I can believe it because after so many years and so much respect in the community and his church, Cecil could pretty much get away with doing or saying anything he wanted. And he did. Another story 
probably no less apocryphal, had Cecil whipping out the church books one Sunday morning at the culmination of their stewardship drive and inviting every single member to do what he had done and come to the front and examine the giving of every one of their fellow members. And they did. One by one, they came. The rich and the powerful came. Those on food food stamps came. The youth came to see what their parents had given. The little old ladies and little bitty men with walkers came. They came, one and all. Talk about an altar call. We won't do that. I don't dare. But did you know that it is expected that United Methodist clergy, especially of our large churches, are aware of the giving of all their members? I am. You know the one that disturbs me the most? You know whose giving most troubles me? My own. It's as it should be just as yours ought to trouble you from time to time. When was the last time you were troubled by your giving? Here's what I know about my own giving. The amount has varied through the years, and as I've had more resources, the amount has needed to increase. I've realized that whatever number each year it ends up being, it needs to be enough to have my attention. Two stories from our travel times to unpack what I'm getting at. The first event came on our last trip overseas this last, just a couple months ago, to Croatia. One morning, while there, I did what I always do. I transferred some cash, some euros from my money belt into my pocket. As I remember it, it was about 80 euros. I did that, and I do that, because it's a lot easier than digging out the money belt from where I have most of my cash and credit cards and passport secured. As the day went on, we spent some. As best I could figure it out, about 40 euros. When we got back to the hotel, and I emptied my pockets, I only had 20. What happened to the other 20? Did I drop it when I was pulling out my cash or digging into my pocket for coins? I'll never know. But I do know it wasn't enough to really make a difference and I lost zero sleep over it. The first time we traveled to Israel, however, was a different story. We were there with some of you. We had no more than landed and gotten to the hotel when I turned on my phone, connected to the internet, and got this message from my Discover Money Market account telling me that my transfer of $80,000 was complete. Complete? I had made no such transfer. I was the victim of some real fraud. I don't know about your economy. For me, 80000 is some serious cash. It had my attention. In fact, 
There were about three days there where I'm not sure whether it was jet lag or stress, but I got very little sleep worrying about it. It's all I could think about. Now, the end of the story is that Discover covered the loss and the money was restored to my account. I am clear that the amount had my attention. Where my giving, where our giving is concerned, do you really think God will make of us the kind of people we can be until we can give an amount that gets our attention? Because our circumstances are different. And because they do change throughout our individual lives, that number changes. But is God going to change us fully until we can give an amount that gets our attention? What's the amount that would get your attention? Jesus wants our attention on God's reign and rule. And if we're really going to grow to be generous people, God's got to have our attention. Can you spare some change? Or will you barely change?